Amen. You may all be seated. The name above all other names, the only one who could ever save. Man. Man, just let those words just settle on you, settle in your hearts. I hope that that what what you see us doing from week to week when we come and and we begin and we open up, we've got announcements and welcomes and all that stuff. But when we come to worship, when we think about worship, we think of the music alone. But that is just the the appetizer to whet your appetite so that you can start to, to fill this well up in your soul so that we can continue our worship through the reading of his scripture. Man, this man. I love just the, 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 the music that we have um, that is, is uh, foundational in our scripture to, to usher us in uh, and have a heart of worship. That is what we're here to do. Not to sit on our hands, not to ch- check a box, not to uh, see our, our friends and family. That stuff is good, but it's not the reason. And um, I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm talking to each and every one of you. Uh, so, man, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, man, um, we, we're, we're uh, continuing our study through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Uh, this morning we'll be in chapter 8 of the gospel of Mark. Um, today we're going to talk about no sign but Christ. For, for those of you who are in the building with us today, I don't believe any of you walked you, you got up this morning, you put on your clothes, and you got into your car. You probably did some stuff in between that, but ultimately, you got into your car, and you drove here. On your way to, to driving to this building, or if you're going anywhere else for that matter, you notice there's some signs along the road. You know, uh, God's beauty would be more appreciated without all these signs, don't you think? All the billboards and the signs this way or that. And sometimes you can have too many signs. Like (laughs) you got, uh, especially with uh, different signs that turn into different streets. On this side is one name, on that side is another name, or or there are three that cross each other. And like, I can't find the, the street that I'm trying to turn on. But we look constantly for signs. And when we're driving, those things are helpful, especially if we don't know where we're going. When we don't know where we're going, so we look for signs. Um, people will say, well, okay, you, you, you go north this way and you turn east or do whatever. I, I have no, I, my, I'm geo- geographically challenged. So you tell me the street name, turn right or left. I don't know the north. I, I don't know. I don't keep a compass on me. How am I supposed to know that? But I rely on these signs, right? Google Maps is in front of me. I wouldn't be able to get anywhere without Google Maps because it, it takes the signs and distills them down, and it knows where I am at the time. And it says, um, in, in a few hundred yards, you're going to be able to turn left on this particular street. And I can look and verify using the sign. So in life, we're used to that. When we look at our maps, old school maps, those of us grew, grew up with the accordion-style map, and we had that when we went on vacation. Uh, now we have the, the Apple Maps, the Google Maps and such. In life, we're looking for these similar signs as well. Like, 
is this the school I'm supposed to go to for graduating seniors or, you know, you're now in your semester, but how did you choose to go? What is, is God going to show me a sign for the school that I'm supposed to go to? Is this the right woman that I'm supposed to marry? I need a sign. Before I uh, proposed to Libby, I called my, my best friend and known him for years. And I said, I'm thinking about asking Libby to marry me. Talk me out of it. He knows me. He knows me. I figured if he was able to talk me out of it, then it, it wasn't the right choice. If, if he has some rational thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. He wasn't able to talk me out of it, praise God. But was that a sign? We look for signs everywhere, and, and, and oftentimes when we're looking for these signs, um, we say, well, God, if you speak clearly, then I will. Or God, if you don't speak clearly, then I won't. I wonder what Scripture has to say about that. That's what we'll talk about this morning in Mark chapter 8. Motivational speaker Zig Ziglar is quoted as saying, repetition is the mother of learning, the father of action, which makes it the architect of accomplishment. Motivational speaker Zig Ziglar is quoted as saying, repetition is the mother of learning, the father of action, which makes it the architect of accomplishment. Motivational speaker Zig Ziglar. You, you're not with me? I mean, I'm seeing, you know, you got the mask on. Motivational speaker Zig Ziglar says the repetition is the mother of learning, the father of action, which makes it the architect of accomplishment. How many times do you have to make the same mistake before you learn? Like, I probably shouldn't do that again. How many times do you have to stub your toe on something in your family room before you say, you know, that's probably not the best place for it. I keep stubbing my toe on it. Repetition. Sometimes we don't get it the first time, so we need it repeated so that we can get it the second time. Mark chapter 8 starts off in, in verses 1 through 10. Here God's word reads, in those days, there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. He said to the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on their way, and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground, taking the seven loaves he gave them. He broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. So they ate and were satisfied and they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them and he immediately got into the boat with the disciples and went to the district of Dalamalutha. Now, this should sound familiar, does it not? 
Maybe while I was reading it, and, and I'm reading it, and verse 9 says, there are about 4,000. You're like, wait a minute, I heard this story before. It wasn't 4,000, it was five. Maybe, is my Bible wrong? Does your Bible say that? No, there was 4,000. We read most recently in chapter 6 of the feeding of the 5,000. And in fact, there was 5,000 men. Uh, so that didn't account for the women, the children. So there was more than that. That, my, my brothers and sisters, is a separate, altogether story. This is a different story where he feeds 4,000 people. There's other differences in, in the case as well of what, what was served and how many loaves and things of that nature. Um, some would argue, oh, maybe, this is, maybe it's the same story, but these stories don't agree. They both cannot be true if they're the same story, right? So these are definitely different stories that we encounter. Why? Maybe he heard of Zig Ziglar, who said repetition is the mother of learning. Jesus knew that in order to uh, get his point across that sometimes it needed to be reinforced. So here he is reinforcing a point here of, of showing his compassion on the people and, and showing uh, that he can provide for their needs. We go on in verse 11. It says the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him, a sign, a sign from heaven to test him, sign deeply. I can imagine, can, can you see this play out in your head? He's, he's doing all these things. He has compassion on these people. He dismisses them and goes along. He comes back to the Pharisees. The Pharisees like, hey, I need a sign from you to prove to me that you are the son of God. <sighs> can you imagine him just putting his head in his hands? And in fact, the, the scripture says he, in, in, in verse 12, it says, sign deeply in his spirit. He said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. Jesus is clearly sighing through frustration. What, what do you mean you need a sign? Have you, have you heard of me? You, you've heard of, you've seen all the things that I'm doing. Matthew 12 and 38, um, it, it says it this way. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees came to him and said, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered them, oh, evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. They're asking for a sign, but what is a sign? A sign is, is not, by the way, a, a happy coincidence. Because when we say we're looking for a sign, often what we're looking for is, is these things that happen to be a coincidence in our lives. When I was in middle school, um, I asked my parents if I can join the band. I said, well, what are you going to do in the band? What are you going to play? I'm like, well, you know, I kind of want maybe a clarinet or something, or and they could see that I wasn't really jazzed about the clarinet, but I figured that would be cheaper than what I really wanted. And I said, I really want to play the saxophone. And so um, I was 
surprised. They were like, okay, we can do that. You know, so they got a saxophone and we rented it. And so um, when I was practicing one day, I just kind of propped it up alongside of the bed and I was doing something else. And then I hear this clang. Saxophone fell over to the side. I rushed over to it, picked it up, and I'm looking at it. And it's got these, the keys bent. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, what's happened here? How did this happen? How do I, I got to fix it before my mom comes home, before she finds out. That was all I was thinking. How do I fix this? And so I didn't know what to do. I'm looking at this, and it didn't make any sense to me, like what happened or why it wouldn't play anymore. It just didn't make any sense. And so I start praying. I said, God, if you would fix this saxophone, I would do whatever it is that you want me to do for the rest of my life. Just fix this one little thing. And you have your way, as if, <laughs> as if he wasn't already going to have his way with me. But I was like, if you just fix this saxophone, I'll do whatever. I opened my eyes, looked back at the saxophone, and somehow it became clear. I saw exactly what keys were bent. I got some pliers, bent them back in place. I'm back in business. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> What, what did I just agree to? <laughs> it was a, what I thought at the time, a sign. God is, is hearing me and listening to me, but maybe that was a happy coincidence that I, wasn't, I was so focused on other things that I wasn't really focused on doing uh, what, 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 what God had, what, what, uh, what was needed in order to fix the saxophone. Also, um, when we talk about a happy coincidence, uh, some people will say, well, um, I, I got this problem. I don't know what to do. So, uh, uh, okay, that's, that's what God says to me today. Hmm. That, that is not a sign either. Or somebody would say, um, you know, after a death in the family, they, uh, I heard a story somebody tell to say, well, I knew they were okay because um, after the service was over, I saw a butterfly flying away. And my grandmother loved butterflies, so she must be with God in heaven. Brothers and sisters, that is not a sign either. Although there are no coincidences, uh, Romans 8 and 28 says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God can use any and everything to bring himself glory. The Westminster Catechism says, for his own glory, God has foreordained whatever comes to pass. But these things that we experience are not signs. So what is a sign? In Scripture, a sign is a divine or supernatural demonstration that showcases and authenticates the power and the presence of God. A sign is, according to Scripture, a divine or supernatural demonstration that showcases and authenticates the power and presence of God. So, the fixing of my saxophone doesn't really apply. The, the, the butterfly fly, flying away does not really um, uh, fit that category either. 
the Pharisees are asking for a sign when they're looking here and they're asking Jesus, what they're looking for, what they're asking for is a sign that proves and authenticates that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the sign that they're looking for. They want him to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. And again, putting myself, I'm trying to see this play out in my mind's eye as if we're watching a movie and seeing this go on. And I can only imagine how this argument is going. We see Jesus sigh in frustration. And, and he if, if, he, if he lived today, he would probably say, bruh, I just did that. I, would, I just, were you, were you not paying attention? I, mean, I just fed 4,000. What are you talking about? A sign. I literally just did this with seven loaves and a few sardines. Who does that? Other than the Son of God. I saw you guys eating. Where do you think it comes from? This is not the Golden Corral. You didn't go through and pick up all this stuff and there was a, a whole smorgas smorgasbord of things to choose from. What do you mean you need a sign? Again, and this is after feeding the 5,000. Plus, and now 4,000 more. What else did he do at this point? He's healed the sick. He's called the seas to be still. He's walked on water. He's cured people of leprosy. He's made the blind to see, the, the deaf to, to hear, the lame to talk. What more proof do you need? But brothers and sisters, this is the problem with signs. This is the fundamental issue of us seeking signs. No, more, no matter how God acts, it will never be enough for those who are skeptical, for those who have hardened hearts. It will never be enough. Uh, oh, well, you, I mean, if you have fed 10,000, then maybe I can believe that you're the son of God. But I mean, it's 4,000. I mean, when we find signs in the Old Testament, they're, they're generally pointing back to the Exodus where Moses gives Pharaoh ten signs from God. You remember these? The, the, the frogs, the locusts, the, the boils, the blood, the, the hail, even the, 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 the death of the firstborn. But what did Pharaoh do? After each and every one of these signs, what did he do? He hardens his heart. Brothers and sisters, Christ is not our magic eight ball. He is not here for your entertainment. He's not here for uh, uh, to, to perform on command. So, if we know this and understand this, why, why in the world would we, even here still today, why would we search for signs? Why do we still continue to demand that God prove himself to us? And which is unfathomable to me. You know, I'm not going to go to a physicist and tell him to prove to me that gravity exists. I, I wouldn't understand what he's saying anyway. Like, I know uh, you throw a ball up in the air and it falls, but if, even if he tried, if he attempted to explain to me why and how it works, 
I, I would just have to trust that he's telling me the truth. The God, the creator of all things, who spoke in the universe, leapt into existence, we're like, well, I'm going to need you to verify those things for me. I'm going to need you to prove to me that you are actually who you say you are. Why do we do this? A simple answer is because we, we fundamentally we reject that God has already given us the answer. He's already revealed to us who he is, and he's done that in his word. Romans 1 and 19 says, Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is, the eternal power, and the divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood uh, through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, God has revealed who he is. He has revealed himself in his power and his love and his mercy. He's already given you everything that you would need. And it says, Paul says to the Romans, people are without excuse. Like, well, you know, uh, it's just the Bible. I mean, what else outside of the Bible can you give me to prove? Well, believe it or not, he gave us that too. He has verified uh, what we see in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. He's, he's shown us through history, archaeology, so on and so forth. And we're still digging up stuff that verifies what is laid out to us in the Bible. He didn't have to do that. But he chose to. There's a lot of people that talk about new revelation or from the word of God. This, oh, I got a new word from the, the Lord spoke to me and he told me to tell you. That's not how this works. God has already spoken. He's spoken through creation and his word. Uh, Justin Peters is quoted as saying, Dear ones, if you want to hear God speak to you, there's one way to guarantee that you will hear God speak. Read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, what should you do? Read the Bible out loud. If you want to hear God speak, read his word. And you will hear him speak. LifeRay Research has reported that only 32% of churchgoers, people that come to church, profess to be Christians, 32% of them say that they read their Bibles every day. 32%. 27% said they read it a few times a week. 40% of them barely pick up the Bible once a month, if ever. These are people who proclaim, confess to be Christians. They attend a local church, but they don't read the Bible. So in order to know, in order to hear God speak, you've got to read the Bible. You can't do what he says if you don't know. And in fact, well, uh, Pastor Vaughn, I trust you. You're a good preacher or whatever. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
but you should go from here and take everything that I've said and verify it in his word. And it talks about this in, in Acts with the Bereans. You know, Paul and Silas are going, they're preaching the word, and he goes and they, they go and talk to the Bereans like, yeah, that sounds good, but I'm, okay, that's in the word. Paul and Silas. That's what we ought to be doing, going and not just verifying for ourselves, but in order to, to um, uh, get to know God at a deeper level is getting into his word, having him speak to us through his word. Another reason we seek signs is because we ultimately want to be the ones to make the rules. I remember when I was a kid playing uh, football with, with some friends, um, there will always be a couple guys that wanted to change the rules while we were playing, right? Anybody else have friends like that? <laughs> they wanted to say, okay, at the very beginning of the game was like, okay, the, the, the tree over there, that's the end zone, okay? And, and, and then when you would get to the tree and you stop and you spike the ball and doing your dance, and all, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, no, 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 that didn't count. Like, wait, no, we agreed, it's the tree, right? No, no, so uh, you, you have to pass the tree, and once you get to the rock out there, then, then that's a touchdown. Let's, we're going to do that over. Well, wait a minute, you can't, you can't just change the rules and literally move the goalposts, especially when it benefits you. That's not fair. But this is the game that we like to play. You see, some of us want to dictate the signs or the kind of signs, uh, the timing and everything before we'll choose to believe God. If, 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 uh, I, uh, going back to the saxophone analogy, if I said, well, if God, if you exist, then you would help me fix the saxophone. And if I didn't fix the saxophone, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that I would be in a lot of trouble with my parents but it does not uh, inauthenticate God and his power. Because then if I fix it, I'm like, well, you know, that was pretty easy. If any guy could have done that, right? Uh, I'm just a smart guy. I could have done that without God, but I just thought I would ask you to do that for me. I want to move the goalposts. No, that's not enough. I need more. I need more. When is enough? Matthew 16 and 1 says, the Pharisees and Sadducees approached and tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And Jesus replies, when evening comes, you say it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the sign of the times. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went astray. He's saying, he's saying, look, you, you, you think you can, you're a meteorologist and can tell the, the how the, the, the season's going to be. You tell what the weather is going to be. Well, the sky is red is going to be one way. And then the next day when you see that it's wrong, like, oh, well, no, no, no. I meant when the sky is red, it's going to be something else. She said, you can't even do that. You can't even uh, uh, look at the signs of the times. How, how dare you ask me? These guys had no idea what they were talking about. 
with already the miraculous things that Jesus had done. The Pharisees says, the Pharisees say, well, oh, that didn't count. Oh, we didn't see that. We need a we need a do over. You didn't go far enough. Maybe if you have fed more people than just the the, the five thousand here and the four thousand there. People that don't want to see can't. People that don't want to hear won't. So if we're not looking for signs, what what is it that we should be looking for? Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah. What, What is the story with that? Plain and simple, Jesus tells us that we ought to seek him. The sign that has been given is the sign of Jonah. Matthew 12 and 39 talks about this where he says, Oh, uh, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The sign of Jonah is a picture of Jesus and his resurrection. This is the only sign that matters, the sign of the resurrection. Jesus was swallowed up by death, and he was in the grave for three days and then rose again, having conquered death and the grave. This is, this is what I'm pointing toward. This is what matters. This is what changes things. Brothers and sisters, we do not make the rules. From the very beginning, God had a plan, and that plan was to provide this ultimate sign. God is the second person of the Trinity. He, he would put on flesh, uh, born of a virgin, live a perfect life, die a sacrificial and atoning death on a cross, and then be raised again to new life. This is the sign. Isn't that enough? Isn't that magnificent enough? Isn't that glorious enough? Isn't it tangible enough? Is it convincing enough? Family, this is the gospel. This is the good news. No matter what you've done, how far you've gone, God is not asking you to clean yourself up before you come to him. He's already given us a sign. He's already paid the price. He just asks you to come. When he encounters his disciples, he goes to them and says, follow me. And that's what he's asking of us today. Hebrews 1 and 1 says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at a different time and in different ways. In these days, he's spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty 
on high. If you want to seek a sign, seek Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for illuminating this sign for us. I know myself and maybe others included in this have throughout our lives looked for various signs as to how we should proceed in life, the decisions that we ought to make. We thank you for even the guidance in those times. But when it comes to a sign to verify that, that you are the Son of God, we thank you for giving us solid and foundational proof to be able to see, to be able to believe that we can stand on this firm foundation and be unshakable. Help us not to keep that to ourselves. Help us to go out and to share this good news with uh, anyone who will listen, all those who need to hear it. Go out and proclaim the goodness of your mercy. Father, thank you for this ultimate sign, because without it, we would be totally and ultimately lost in this world with a debt on us that we could never think uh, or be able to pay. So, Father, we thank you and we trust you because of who you are and what you've done. Father God, just continue to, to shape us and mold us into your, your image. Uh, help us to have the courage and the obedience to God and do what it is that your word says for us to do. Father, I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you all please stand as we conclude our worship?